coming up this week on Breaking Badness. Today we discuss cash for cash. China has increasingly turned to private companies and campaigns to hack foreign governments and control its domestic population. Next up, way to DNS sec. We're talking about how the internet essentially dodged a bullet regarding the key trap vulnerability. And of course, our fun game, Gold Guidance and Grievances. With that, Breaking Badness is next. Welcome to Breaking Badness, episode number 180, recorded on February 26th, 2024. I'm your co-host, Callie, cash or check, Fensel, and of course, cash is C-A-C-H-E. And with me is co-host Taylor. You get the OPSEC you pay for, I sooner or later, Wilkes Pierce. And last but not least, Tim DNS the Menace Helming. I love I love that. You win. You win. You win. <laughs> that one that one actually hit me pretty quick. Oh, but I, I love I love it so much. <laughs> Feel free to borrow it. I will, for sure. Oh, my gosh. I'm uh, disappointed I didn't think of it. It's always one of those situations. <laughs> <laughs> Name envy. I know. <laughs> well, uh, first and foremost, you know, before we uh, before we get into anything else, I think we need to discuss uh, the biggest news from last week, which was the LockBit takedown. <laughs> Locked up bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Domains, at least. <laughs> so uh so i i was able to um attend um recorded futures briefing on it on last wednesday with friend of the podcast alan liska as we love, alan. we love we love him so much he's welcome anytime uh so so he was part of the panel uh just discussing what happened uh well the history of lockbit why why they're so prolific um a little bit of information about what we know about the takedown um and then thoughts um stemming from you know what what does this look like moving forward what what do we think lockbit is going to do actually and and i think as of today we have some news some more news about lockbit um you know trying to you know get new infrastructure together um have have you both uh seen seen news about that i saw yeah, a headline I, but i haven't read anything deeply right. on it yet Yes, it's only been a week. But even in that, even in the panel, they were saying, "Oh, this could take weeks or months, maybe even a year before we see anything more from them." But it's kind of surprising. A week later, uh, it's it sounds like they're trying to get it together a lot sooner than anticipated. Of course. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that shouldn't surprise anybody, right? These guys aren't <laughs> just going to sort of decide to uh, I don't know, all become golf caddies or something else now that this is taken down. <laughs> they're not going to be like, wow, wow. Okay. Well, I guess you got us. Right. <laughs> I don't know. It sounds like a perfect time for a honeypot operation. <laughs> Can you expand on that, Taylor? We're like, Hey, we're back. <laughs> Everybody. We're back. Uh, come, come sign in. <laughs> yeah, that's oh. true. <laughs> well, I guess, uh, you know, one of the things that they mentioned in that particular panel was, you know, affiliate trust, you know, like, you know, how quickly Lockbit decides to bounce back, you know, are they going to have the same affiliate support that they once had? I and think it all depends on whether in the end with whatever they wind up bringing back, whether those affiliates think they're going to make money off it. I mean, 
if they do, then they'll come back. It's, um, it's always about the money, isn't it? Well, it does, <laughs> it does seem to be a pretty significant motivator. True. I would say. I'm not just doing this for our health. <laughs> <laughs> and they're not just doing it for the lulls. No. <laughs> I saw they did arrest a father-son duo in Ukraine. Uh, there was affiliated to it, so it's really like a family affair there. <laughs> I don't know what they're like. How how is that father son going to connect now? I know <laughs> that uh, was their bond over fighting Russia. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that's I've you know I've never heard of like the the family affair aspect of you know. A crime syndicate in in this particular scenario, um, but you know, of course, that probably happens a lot more than we think. But wow, that's that's interesting. Well, well, what what else? Uh, what thoughts? You know, do you have Tim and Taylor on on this? Uh, you know, any predictions that you have coming out before we before we get into our two articles for today? Well, I I do. I sort of worry that. Uh, as, as important as this takedown is, and I don't want to uh, understate it because uh, it was great. It was great news. It was really, really good work, and, uh, and we're happy to see it. But it feels like you're sort of playing with fire if you declare, yep, well, that's probably, that's the last we're ever going to see of Lockbit. You know, it's a little like putting the mission accomplished banner up and declaring yourself, declaring victory. Uh, it's a... It's a big setback for them. Is it ultimately going to be the end for them? I think it's too soon to know. And that's fair. One of the things, my favorite line coming out of that panel discussion last week was um, they likened it to D-Day, where it was D-Day wasn't the end of the war, but it was the beginning of the end. So perhaps, like, so it's not the end right now, mm. but perhaps it's the beginning of something. I got to say, there was some really first-rate trolling done by the good guys in this case. And oh, yeah? If you haven't seen it, you got to go out there and, <laughs> and look it up. Absolutely. Uh, you know, other aspects that we they published a lot of decryption keys. Um, you know, we also found out that maybe some of these actors weren't deleting the data when they said they were. It's going to be a lot of shoes to drop. <clears throat> Gee, that's of- a big surprise. Yeah, maybe folks who haven't disclosed events and their data might be in here. Uh, yeah, there's there's still a lot left to go here. <laughs> I can't believe they didn't do what they said they were going to do. I know. Like, is so there no know. honor? <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Well, yeah, yeah, we're, we're definitely going to be paying attention to this as it, you know, because it will continue to unfold, of course. But uh, how about we... Uh, we make a, a small pivot into the other topics that we wanted to discuss today. First of first being cash for cash, you know, which is, you know, the, our story about China increasingly turning to private companies and campaigns to hack foreign governments and control its domestic population. So Taylor, uh, what's the benefit of a nation state contracting out foreign espionage campaigns to the private sector? 
Yeah, you know, this is, it's really interesting. I guess we should probably back up and, and talk about how, where this stuff comes from. Um, there was a leak on GitHub uh, last week the of kind of a treasure trove of data from inside of a company uh, that is called Isoon. Uh, and so they are a Chinese technology company. They do cybersecurity training and and the like, um, you know, they they may have analogs <laughs> uh, elsewhere around the world, but uh, you know, on the flip side, uh, underneath the kind of veneer of the, hey, we do blue things, there was uh, a large number of red team operations going on that, um, you know, the information on those were leaked onto a GitHub repo um, by what appeared to be maybe like a uh, disgruntled employee or disgruntled competitor it's it's not really uh you know it's super clear who who put these things out there that's the whole point of the leak i suppose right uh but that's kind of the provenance of this is this treasure trove of data that otherwise we would not uh really have any access to There's a lot of internal stuff there's like powerpoint presentations you know all the way you know the very mundane things um you know fasc fascinating data and you mentioned, Taylor, that uh, this was, you know, leaked on GitHub and it it's said to be legitimate in the article. And I hate to ask this even, but how do we confirm legitimacy here? Well, yeah, we, you know, you really can't uh, with 100% certainty for a lot of this stuff. So a lot of grain of, grain of salt stuff. You can say, okay, hey, there are external indicators here or historical indicators here that line up with research um, you know, into these things. And so from the outside looking in, we thought this was that. And then now from the inside of it, we can see, yeah, maybe it was that. So there's details on the remote access Trojans they use for Mac and, and for uh, when, like iOS and Android devices. And so you know, uh, historical artifacts as well on the infrastructure they were using for some of their phishing campaigns. And so you can line that up with, you know, stuff external, but you, you know, you, it's tough to say with 100% certainty, hey, you know, um, the, these are certainly authentic and legitimate, but it certainly looks, someone went to a whole lot of trouble here <laughs> um, you know, to expose this stuff. And so there's a, a, like definitely some things line up with um, prior reporting, but you definitely take it with a grain of salt. Okay. And I guess what it, so coming back to the benefit for contracting this out, um, you know, what, what would China be saving, uh, you know, by hiring this out to pr the private sector and then how lucrative is that for the private sector? Um, you know, there's a number of reasons that it could be that, you know, you view these things as long-term sustained you know, operations, but you want some type of plausible deniability um, or, you know, some type of separation between like official channels and what's going on, perhaps. Um, maybe it's cheaper this way. Who knows? Uh, but that is part of, you know, some of the discussions, the internal chats like the, that have been translated here. Folks are complaining about uh, their pay, what they get paid for what they do. Uh, you know, here examples of that are like $15,000 for access to private website for traffic police in Vietnam, or you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars for social media access. Um, you know, there's a number of leaks of how they, uh, you know, detailing how they can snag Telegram accounts or uh, Twitter accounts, or, you know, do that type of misinformation, disinformation thing. 
Yeah. And so, so misinformation, disinformation, do we know, you know, which, uh, which entities the, that, that are being targeted with, with these particular campaigns? Yeah, you'll see some in here. Um, Obviously the governments uh, in Vietnam, um, South Korea, Taiwan, Hong Kong, Malaysia, India, uh, they claimed access to telcos in Kazakhstan, Mongolia, Vietnam, Hong Kong. So again, it's like what, what's being claimed uh, uh, to have been done in these documents um, and what maybe got done. Who knows? <laughs> but at least from what they're claiming, and 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 you know, we can see that here. Um, you know, a, a good level of access to a bunch of different spots. Okay, gotcha. And then how, like, so, and we also mentioned this is also leading to implications for for China's own citizens. Can you expand on what that means exactly? Yeah, I think uh, you'll see that there's an interest in controlling narratives and um, in setting the discourse, tone of discourse. <laughs> so, uh, you know, to get into spots where um, that are kind of external to your your narrative control are going to be, you know, more decentralized things like Telegram chats and WhatsApp chats and things like that. So, um, you know, you'll see a lot of effort uh, trying to get into these channels uh, to see what's being pushed out by other folks and then to also drive, uh, you know, narratives uh, on their own. Okay, gotcha. Um, so does at this point in time, do you 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 had listed out the um, implicated um, countries, um, but do you think this is going to have um, you know any any implications for the Chinese American relations, um, or or is that kind of remain to be seen? Uh, you know, in a post full typhoon world, uh, I think it would be tougher for this to I don't know, make things too much worse. I think there's a lot of this does feel more local to the region of mm-hmm. uh, for China than having to deal with U.S. interests per se. But you know, certainly there's an overlap when it comes to uh, a number of spots over there. And I was going to ask, um, how how does this tie this particular story? How does it tie into Volt Typhoon, which we we discussed on the podcast a couple of weeks ago? Great question. I think initially, as of right now, this stuff looks wholly separate. Full typhoon, okay. you know, very focused on living off the land, um, you know, kind of deeply embedding themselves into uh, the you know, critical infrastructure workflows. You know, here is more targeted fishing, rootkits, um, you know, that type of, um, you know, that type of thing, a little more um, purpose-built infrastructure for this stuff. Okay. Thanks, Taylor. Well, I think we're going to head into our hoodie rating for this. Um, If you are a newer listener, um, after we discuss um, our articles, we like to assign them a hoodie rating. Uh, The scale is from one to 10 hoodies. And if you can picture a stereotypical hacker in a hoodie, uh, that's where that imagery is coming from. So one is not so bad. Uh, 10 is what I call end of days. Um, so based on, on what you've heard from Taylor, um, Tim, what would you rate this campaign or these, this set of campaigns as from a hoodie perspective? You know, uh, I'm having a little bit of a hard time coming up with exactly how to hoodie rate this. Cause I think it's, this is talking about, it's sort of a, a big picture 
it's talking about a an emergence of a new or at least newly observed, I guess, pattern, um, which is going to encompass a bunch of different attack methods and you know separate campaigns and so forth. So to put an umbrella hood hoodie, should we just have an umbrella rating? I, <laughs> I was gonna uh, go. I was gonna go goodies maybe just off of the fact that hey, this is a ton of information that we have not seen. We could do that too. Well, yeah, that's a good point, right? So the visibility into this is great. That's absolutely goodies. Um, Knowing about, you know, how this is going to be carried out by these private entities and whatnot. um, You know, I think they probably will represent some threats. Uh, I don't know. You know, this is so boring, but put me straight (laughs) down the middle at zero of anything. I'm like totally neutral on the scale here. I, I don't think we have enough information. So there are no hoodies and there are no goodies. Wow. Wow. I don't think we've had, I've seen a zero yet in my time on this podcast. Tim said good day. <laughs> it's, good well, day. it's, you know, it, it, it works out to like they're counterbalancing. So there, there actually are hoodies and there actually are goodies, but it just, it nets out to zero. Well, you showed your work and explained how you got to zero. That's, right. so that's, that's what's right. important. Yeah, we'll have to explain that somehow in the notes uh, for people who haven't, because they're if they're just reading the notes and they're like, "Wow, zero hoodies, that's interesting." There's no threat at all from this, which is not the case. You are out there, man, in the ether. <laughs> Got to try something different once in a while. I think so. Wow. Well, Taylor, um, what what are you thinking, uh, hoodie or goodie wise? Because. <laughs> <laughs> and you have to show your work the same way Tim oh, did. <laughs> I am going to lean towards goodies just because uh, we just don't get this kind of level of insight into threat actor stuff like this very often, particularly from particularly from this part of the world. So uh, I'm going to go goodies. I'm going to go four and a half goodies just right down the middle. Okay, excellent. Goodies. They're not hoodies. They're more like a warm, warm goodies, warm chocolate chip cookie. You know, it's not like there's tons of you know zero days, o days, or crazy things in here. But the the level of like all the PowerPoint slides, you know, there's a level of maturity here um, that implies a larger ecosystem behind all this stuff. So that's really interesting. Okay. Yeah, and I think that ecosystem is something we're gonna. You know, whether we know it's part of this or not at the time, we're going to hear about stuff that they're doing. And that's why I kind of did the rating the way I did. But we'll see. But Taylor, it's, you know, I think it's tradition, but it's not a requirement that the goodies be chocolate chip. But is that, in fact, your goodie flavor of choice? Yeah, I think we're going to go chocolate chip. Yeah. Nice. Nice. That's fair. A little sea salt on there, maybe? 100%. 100%. Ooh, good stuff. Well, thank you, Taylor. I'm in. I'm in. (laughs) Thank you for that. Uh, We are going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're coming back with our second story, which is Wait a DNS Sec. So stay tuned, and we will be right back. Hi there, Breaking Badness friends and family. Colonel Panic, or Tim, here from the team. 
If this is your first time hearing our production, welcome aboard. If you're a longtime listener, you can't be a first-time caller because we don't do that. But what you can do is leave us a five-star rating, and if you're feeling extra ambitious, a review wherever you get your podcasts. And for new and returning listeners alike, tell a friend if you're enjoying what you're hearing. Thanks a bunch, and now let's get back to the show. We're back. How is everybody? Uh, okay. It's refreshing. Did you have any any goodies? Any any warm chocolate chip goodies? Yeah, I ran out of the room and got one of the one of the four and a half chocolate chip goodies. And Just one. You know that little bit of sea salt in there. I mean, that's mm-hmm. it's is. I guess that's kind of a fad, but it's been a fad for a long time. The salt and caramel, or salt and chocolate, or whatnot. But I I'm bring... good with making it permanent. It does yeah. bring out the the sweetness of it. So there's something to that, you know, like that's actually Ina Garten's uh, secret to oatmeal is when they say the pinch of salt is optional, always no, put in. No, it's not optional. It's not optional. Absolutely you not you need optional. to put that in there. I remember at one time, you know. This, I this week on baking, of, this week yeah. on baking badness. <laughs> well, uh, oatmeal isn't baking really, but I, I remember when I <laughs> discovered that, uh, because I had had some, I you know, I grew up as a kid. Of course, I got the oatmeal packets, which are fifty percent sugar. Let's face it, and Heck yeah. so that, you know that makes them taste good. And um, then I had some real oatmeal at a bed and breakfast, and uh, I just it just wasn't right. And I didn't figure out the salt thing. And it was a couple of years later when I went, wait a minute, what if we? And I tried it, and that was that solved oatmeal. It does solve oatmeal. If you don't put that in there, it's it is not a good breakfast. Right. <laughs> but once you uh, do that little bam of salt, now now we're cooking. Maybe that'll you be the bet. thing that gets me over into team oatmeal. Are you not team oatmeal? Okay. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we can go down this rabbit hole forever. <laughs> but that's not info. Wilford Brimley wants you to try it. It's the right thing to do. <laughs> Uh, I really picture Taylor as the kind of kid that had the oatmeal with the dino eggs in them. Ooh, you know, I think that would be great. But in Florida, there's not just, you know, oatmeal is not really what comes to mind when you wake up. Oh, 93 degrees outside. You're like, let me get a full uh, oatmeal. I forgot about that element. (laughs) (laughs) You guys were required to drink a certain amount of orange juice, right? By law, living there. That and Gatorade. (laughs) <laughs> right. The orange, is that, is that why it's Gatorade. called Gatorade? Was it invented by a oh, yeah, Florida University Gator of Florida at the University? At the University of Florida. Yeah. Absolutely. Naturally I never knew that. Gator. Yeah, it's got my plants great. Right. Well, we're learning all sorts of things today on Breaking Badness. <laughs> so, but wait, wait a DNS sec. We should be talking about <laughs> invoice. <laughs> oh, that was good. Actually, invoking the title to get us back on track. I, I like it. Yes, I like it a lot. Yes, do it, doing it upright. So uh, we are going to be discussing what is what is being described as the quote unquote worst attack on DNS ever discovered. Um, you know, with D- with Domain Tools being a DNS focused organization, we'd we'd like to weigh in on the story. Um, but Tim, before we begin, can you share with our listeners the differences between DNS and DNSSEC? Well. Certainly, they're spelled differently, for one thing. 
Um, no. Yeah, one, so, one, I, yeah. That's it. That's all we need to know. <laughs> that's all you need to know. Yeah. Should we move on to the hoodie rating? No. Um, yeah. As So DNS itself, as I think probably anybody listening to this podcast knows, but it's the system by which domain names, which are easy for humans to understand, are translated to IP addresses, which is all computers want to talk about. So um, sometimes it's called the phone book of the internet for people who remember what phone books are. Um, and uh, DNSSEC, some, somebody realized, you know, pretty early on that, like, if we don't do anything to secure DNS, a number of bad things could happen. And so DNSSEC, the SEC does, in fact, stand for Security, Domain Name System Security Extensions. So it's an upgrade to the original spec, um, which uses cryptography to help ensure that the results of queries haven't been tampered with, uh, for example, by malicious actors who want to redirect traffic to servers that they control. And uh, uh, while it does use cryptography, in this case, that's not meaning that the DNS lookups are encrypted end to end. It's using um, uh, basically public key infrastructure to ensure that what you're connecting to is what you're expecting to be connecting to and that you're going to get legitimate resolutions off of that. We could do a whole show on DNS and DNSSEC, and who knows, maybe we will someday. But uh, there it is in a nutshell. I would very much like to do a whole episode about that. And if you're listening to this and you have thoughts, you know, please weigh in. You know, Connect with us on Mastodon or X. Or Twitter, if you're still calling it that, um, well, we'd love to. We'd love to know what your thoughts are on uh, a whole episode of DNS and DNSSEC. We never get tired of talking about DNS around here. No, no, not at all. Um, so, so, and that's why I have more questions for you. <laughs> um, so, the research team, known as I hope I'm pronouncing this correctly, Athene, made the discovery of this attack and called it Key Trap. Um, what can you tell us about the makeup of this attack? Yeah, so uh, first off, to not bury the lead, this involves sending a, a specially crafted pra- uh, packet as part of the RR set or the resource record set, which is to say the response that comes back from the authoritative server. And in this case, this would be an author- authoritative DNS server that uh, is controlled by a malicious actor. And let me say, by the way, you know, we use the term DNS server kind of globally, but there are two important things that can both be referred to as DNS servers. And one of them is the resolver, and the resolver is what gets clobbered in this uh, in this attack. Um, but the resolver is the thing that your computer talks to and says, hey, tell me the IP address for breaking badness. Uh, actually, we don't do we own breakingbadness.com? We probably don't. Anyway, tell me don't, the don't, uh, don't give IP people address ideas. for domaintools.com. <laughs> And um, so that's that's one kind of DNS server. The other kind of DNS server is the authoritative server, which is the one that the resolvers talk to. And the authoritative server is what has the records for the zone that it's responsible for. And a zone kind of corresponds to a domain and all the subdomains and whatnot that are part of that. Or a zone can be a top-level domain, a TLD. Anyway, um, the uh, authoritative server, so in this case, the authoritative server is controlled by the malicious actors, and the DNS resolver is what is targeted by this attack. And the attack itself is essentially a denial of service. It's not directly destructive. It's not putting malware anywhere. Um, 
but it's essentially it makes that DNS resolver unavailable. And when your DNS resolver is unavailable, well, basically the internet is down for any clients that are relying on that resolver. Uh, you know, individuals who are savvy about DNS and who can figure out that this is a DNS problem could go into their machine and configure different DNS resolvers and try those instead. And um, if they were not, uh, you know, if you're on a corporate controlled machine within a corporate environment, you may not even be able to do that. That might be locked down to somebody with admin privileges. But uh, if that's not the case, you can try putting in different resolvers. And uh, if you go to ones that are not compromised by attackers, then your internet will be back up again. Um, but the way this works is it relies on the victim making a DNS lookup for a domain that is controlled by the threat actor. Now, the domain itself is not really the center of the story here. It's really that they just want the victims to look up, to make lookups for that domain so that they're hitting the authoritative name server that the actor is controlling. And then the authoritative name server sends back this maliciously crafted response and the resolver hangs at that point. So the, the domain is is kind of incidental. It's just so that you can get the uh, the authoritative name server controlled by the threat actor in play. And the flaws aren't recent, correct? The vulnerability, no, yeah, it's existed in the space for a while. Yeah, it's so uh, this flaw is, has been present since bind nine, uh, circa August 2000. Oh boy. So going toward 24 years ago and then components of it probably earlier than that, which is a pretty long time for such a deep vulnerability to go undiscovered. Now, I will say that uh, they, um, the researchers who wrote this up have called it the most serious DNS flaw ever discovered. And, you know, the uh, friends and family of Dan Kaminsky might like a word. Um, the cash poisoning uh, flaw that he discovered back in, what, 2008 or whenever that was, was a seriously big deal also. Um, and more importantly, probably cash poisoning we've seen in the wild extensively. Um, but so, you know, it, on the other hand, being able to uh, to cause this denial with a single um, uh, specially crafted response packet is, you know, it's impressive, uh, I would say. And so I kind of understand why they're making that claim, but it's um, it's feels a little bit boasty. To be clear, I I totally uh, salute the researchers who found this. It's a it's a great find. Um, but anyway, yeah, it's a big deal, and it's been around a long time. Do you, do you have any thoughts on why it, why we're only learning about it now? Yeah, because nobody pays attention to DNS. Sec. Oh, oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm kidding, of course, to an extent. But, you know, it seems like in a lot of cases, now, a, a lot of people use, whether they know it or not, are using resolvers that, uh, that use DNSSEC. And DNSSEC is a good thing. But it just, it doesn't come up, you know, sort of in, in the global conversation about DNS, when you hear people talking about it, DNSSEC doesn't seem to come up that often. Now, does that mean that that's why? Because people just aren't paying attention to it? Probably not. I'm being a little bit glib there. But um, but it, it, it would appear that this is an area that hasn't been extensively researched over the years. Yeah, and... and 
to that point of you know not that many people are using it so the article that we're that we're referring to is from the register and they indicated that 31% of web clients worldwide use dns sec validating dns servers and so they would feel the effects of the key trap attack so that's that's a minority number but that can still af- impact the other 69% right well it's you know that's not entirely clear to me actually so from a direct perspective the folks that don't rely on DNSSEC validating resolvers would not be affected. But the question becomes, are there web-based services that those folks are accessing, which then in turn are relying on DNSSEC and could be affected by this? Uh, So I think if you saw a malicious actor start doing this in the wild at a great rate, yes, then probably people who aren't sitting behind those, that 31% of resolvers still would see some effects. But it's not obvious how extensive they'd be and what those effects would look like. Um, and, you know, we there's there's obviously going to be some mitigations taking place. Uh, so there are a lot, of, a lot of ins, a lot of outs, a lot of what have yous, you know, with this. Um, but I think it's likely if you saw it, deployed um, maliciously on a large scale that, yeah, probably everybody would uh, feel some kind of effects of it. There's so many interconnections. You know, when you think of, when you're explaining DNS to somebody, you think, well, okay, you want to go to foobar.com on your computer, you type it in and your computer does a DNS lookup. What we don't talk about is how many services that are running underneath everything that we use on the modern web are using DNS themselves. And so, it's really not nearly as simple as just your computer's trying to look. So, I mean, when you go to a web page, for heaven's sake, your computer underneath is resolving all kinds of domains related to ad sites and uh, associated resources that the um, the web page is telling you to pull down and whatnot. So, I mean, there's a ton. When you if you go to any mainstream website, there is not just the one DNS lookup for that website. There's a ton of stuff that's going on underneath. Some of which your ad blocker probably gets in the middle of. Um, but um, so the the uses of DNS are way more than sort of meets the eye unless you are somebody that works uh, with it extensively, like configuring it and so forth. And do we do we know why that percentage of people using DNS sec validating DNS resolvers is is only at 31%? Yeah, because nobody ever talks about DNS. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, you'd mentioned that before. Yeah. <laughs> no, there are... There are some complexities with setting it up. You know, it's not quite as simple as setting up a regular um, non-DNSSEC using resolver. Um, And so, uh, honestly, I think that's part of it. Every once in a while, you see some kind of an argument that says, well, DNSSEC doesn't really bias that much, really. Um, And so, I I think there's a variety of reasons for that. Um, And... This isn't going to help, I got to say, you know, people who were trying to think, well, should I move over to DNSSEC or, or not, maybe are going to take a minute here and say, let's make sure this gets fully patched and everybody's confident in the patches uh, before we make any hasty moves in that direction. And there's no evidence of exploitation at this time, right? Or, or what, do, what do you think the likelihood is that it could be exploited in the future? Well, that's a super crystal ball type of question. Um, But in the 
So to begin with, it depends on whether anybody malicious is able to figure out exactly how to construct these uh, malicious RR sets. So, you know, the, the researchers did not exactly lay out the blueprints for how to do this. They described at some level of detail how it works, but um, they didn't go into extensive detail. You can bet that there's all kinds of folks who will take the CVE and run with it and try to figure out, you know, sort of reverse engineer more or less based on the description by these researchers and uh, and figure out how to do these things. So they're working on it. Um, and it's now a race, I think, between those miscreants that are doing that and the folks that are going to start patching servers. Um, the, the, by the way, the, this was sort of an interesting thing in the article, too, that they said that um, testing one uh, particular um, implementation after it was patched, it did not hang, so the denial of service didn't occur, but they did see 100% CPU usage, which is slightly worrisome. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's really hard to predict. Um, Tim, if you want to heat your house, that's great. Well, that's a good point. I mean, if you're, uh, if you're, if your computer's big enough, yeah. <laughs> I think my son's, uh, gaming laptop probably could heat the house pretty decently. Hit it with some DNSSEC requests. It weighs about 40 pounds, you know, <laughs> and it's got, uh, it's got major fans in it. Um, but anyway, yeah, so we'll, um, we'll see. Uh, certainly don't want to see this one in, in the wild and I'm not aware of any exploitation in the wild. Like you, like you said, um, hope we don't see that, but, uh, but I assume that there's, there's kind of a race on. Yeah. And, and when you talk about patching, um, you know, what, will it be helpful if some patch and others don't, or does this kind of depend on everybody has to patch? No, so... there's not, there's not like a herd immunity aspect to it. Um, but, uh, so, you know, the more resolvers get patched, the better off we're going to be. The fewer people are going to be directly affected, but, you know, go back to my earlier answer too, where I'm talking about the ripple effects for folks that are, let's say sitting behind now, patched resolvers but again there's like out there on the web let's say their bank is using an unpatched resolver and their bank gets hit with this so now um, some of the services that their bank has to call when they call the bank um, don't work properly you know then we start to get into those ripple effects like I was talking about so uh, but to be clear uh, any amount of patching of this that happens is a good thing, and uh, it is not required that everybody across the board sort of get patched um, before we see ourselves uh, in a much safer position. Excellent. All right. Well, thanks, Tim. I appreciate you uh, you walking us through this, and perhaps we will dive into this deeper on another episode. Do you feel like this, like because of um, you know? Ex sharing this information, um, you know, the, from these researchers, this is more of a goodie than a hoodie. No, I'm going to go no. with hoodies. I mean, yes, hats off to, for the research. Absolutely. But no, I, I want to talk about hoodies in this. I, I, I don't know if, if Taylor goes first, but well, what the heck I'm talking, I'll just, I'll go. Through <laughs> it. I, um, if, you know, sort of, if it got into the wild, uh, it could wreak a lot of havoc, and that would argue for a very high hoodie rating. That the CVE number on this is seven point five, 
And I was a little surprised by that given, well, given how, how serious the flaw was. And, you know, this is the worst thing that's ever occurred with DNS vulnerabilities and so forth. I would have thought that would push the CVE number a little bit higher, but um, I will say seven hoodies. Um, And that's kind of a, I'm kind of being conservative there in the sense that uh, I, right now the threat to any individual is probably not really high. But again, if this sort of breaks out of the lab, so to speak, and gets into the population, then it's a whole other ballgame. Gotcha. Okay. I think that's fair. What, what about you, Tay? I am lower. <laughs> uh, just the lack of adoption of DNSSEC. I think that, uh, you know, this is, is not great. Uh, and certainly folks who are running any type of public resolver stuff on this will want to get this patch and I'm sure they have already. But uh, for me, let's go... 3.75 hoodies. Wow, that's that's significantly lower than Tim's. I just I like it. <laughs> <laughs> I you know, it, look it's you're right, it's really interesting. I just it's one of those things where you know, this is not going to be great for DNSSEC adoption. Uh, um it, although that's kind of stalled out in large large part anyway. So I don't know that it, it impacts that one way or another. Okay. That's fair too, and you you don't have to agree a hundred percent. I was just interested yeah. in the 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 logic behind it. <laughs> it's really interesting, you know. It, it's like if you could come up, so you know, folks over at Salesforce came up with like jarm hashing, where they can kind of query for certificate X five hundred nine certificates in a certain way and fingerprint them, and you know, it, it feels like if you came up with a way to like gum up the works of DNSSEC stuff, it would look um i mean i don't know it, it, it I, I just don't, i don't see it having a very big impact all right well thanks tim for for walking us through that and thank you both for your uh, for your hoodie ratings i think before we adjourn for the day we're going to go into our last segment which is gold guidance and grievances um if you are a newer listener um at the end of our episodes we like to share um, so our gold, which is something good about that's going on within the industry right now, um, any advice we might have, and then anything that's grinding our gears. And we actually um, do it backwards um, because we discovered it's a bummer to end on grievances. So we'll end on gold. Um, so Tim, since we just heard from you, Taylor, do you want to share your gold guidance and grievances? Not in that order. <laughs> sure. So uh, let's see. I mean, I think that the my, I'll go. I'll go grievance first. Grievance. Uh, the <laughs> the little the little helicopter that we had flying around on Mars uh, is is broken now, and the little rover that was like meant to for it to land on is is wheeling away from it and took one last little picture of the broken helicopter. <laughs> and and that's that made so me sad. sad. That's yeah. Wow. yeah that's, that's my grievance. Uh, that, feel, that feels like a like a sad little Pixar scene. <laughs> Yeah, seriously. Now, here's what uh, I can't remember. Is the helicopter one of the things that, like, vastly overperformed its oh, expected lifetime and whatnot? Or is that mainly just the rover yeah. itself? No, the helicopter, for sure, I think lasted much longer than anyone thought that it would. Yeah. 
that that was my grievance. And then I think I'll just stay like with the general theme of the lockbit takedown. That's just all the goodies and all of the the good news. <laughs> uh, you know that that really is uh, like a hundred out of ten uh, goodies. Um, kind a of giant a plate of chocolate chip goodies. Yeah, yeah. Uh, cookie, cookie cake. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Any no guidance, no advice for anybody this week. None, none, none. whatsoever. <laughs> There's just where. Do, what do we do? What do know, we throw do up we... our hands? Uh, just don't ever connect a computer to anything. Yeah, I'd recommend. Yep. <laughs> All right, pen and paper for everybody. <laughs> well, okay, Tim. What about you? <laughs> All right. Well. Let's see. For grievance, uh, it's sort of a tie for me between two things, and these are both sort of in consumer world but related to technology. One of them is that Waymo's self-driving cars just keep on hitting people and things, and uh, that's that's really irritating. Like, you know, this is technology that is potentially lethal, and um, it's the like pedestrians are beta testers of it, whether they want to be or not, and. So that's that's really a bummer. And then my tie grievance goes to uh, the fact that AT&T is going to uh, issue $5 reimbursements for the big 12-hour outage that they had recently, which, you know, if I'm one of their customers, like, $5. to me, it's almost like, you know what, you guys just hold on to your money. You clearly seem to need it more than I do. Like, it feels it feels like kind of a slap to me. Five dollars is what else. my grandma gave me in 1997. Serious. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Can't even so, buy a beer. No. No. No, you could barely buy a chocolate chip cookie at this point for five bucks. So anyway, yeah, I'm glad I wasn't affected by that outage because that really would turn outage into outrage. Um, my guidance is not surprisingly, this is probably predictable, but you patch your DNS resolver if you use DNSSEC. Uh, please do that immediately. Uh, my gold is uh, Kara Swisher, who if you're not familiar with Kara, you should be. Um, got a great podcast as well as uh, uh, she's written extensively in the New York Times and, and elsewhere. She's got a new, uh, a new book out called Burn Book. And Basically, you know, talking to mucky mucks in the tech industry, Kara Swisher decided that she's really sick of being lied to and uh, um, doesn't like some of the behaviors she has uh, observed over the years. So she came out with this book. I have not read it yet. I am. I, that's on my short list for sure. Maybe it'll come up on a Breaking Badness book club episode uh, one time here. But she's not. Uh, apparently, she doesn't pull any punches in this thing. So really looking forward to it. That's a burn book by Kara Swisher. Oh, that sounds great. We definitely mm -hmm. have to talk about that on a book club episode. I think so. There's much tea to be spilled. Oh, yes. Excellent. Well, thank you both for uh, for uh, sharing your insights on those two articles and your gold guidance and grievances. I appreciate you hanging out with me. And thank you to our listeners as well. We appreciate you coming back each week and, uh, and listening to our episodes. Sure um, yeah, and be, be sure to come back next week because we'll have another all-new episode of Breaking Badness. Stay frosty out there, everyone. Bye-bye. Thanks, everybody. That's about all we have for this week. You can find us on Twitter at Domain Tools. 
All of the articles and IOCs mentioned today will be included in our blog post, which can be found at domaintools.com slash resources slash podcasts. Catch us every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific time when we publish our podcast and blog. We'll see you next week on another episode of Breaking Badness. Until then, remember, don't drink and click. <laughs>